All right, have a seat, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the second week in the Hungering for God series, where we're talking about everyone's least favorite subject in the world, which is fasting. Very, very good. I started off last week by making a public confession that I hate fasting. All right, many people agreed with me in my hatred for fasting. But while I said that it's fasting is not something that I enjoy, nor do I seek to do my own pleasure, it is something that I really believe that God wants me to do and wants us to do. And what we're talking about here in this series is not why we have to fast, but why we should want to fast. Or let me say not want to fast as much as why we should fast voluntarily and not because the church is making us fast. And like I said from the beginning, I'm trying to imagine, and I'll stress the word imagine, all right, that the church is not telling us to fast these days. And the church is not telling us that we ever have to have any time of fasting. And I want you to have that in your mind, again, stressing the word imagine, that that's a reality. And I hope that after the end, by the time the end of this series, that you would say, even if the church told me there's no more fasting, and you don't have to, and anyone can do whatever they want, that I still choose to fast at certain points in time. That's the hope that we're trying to get to. Before we get there, I know we're in Washington, D.C., and a lot of politically charged people in here. I want to read you a letter from the United States Congress that was written a few years back at the end or conclusion of, of one of their sessions together. It says the following. This is a quote. It says, In times of impending calamity and distress, when the liberties of America are imminently endangered by the secret schemes and open assaults, of an insidious and vindictive administration, it becomes our indispensable duty with true penitence of heart and the most reverent devotion publicly to acknowledge the overruling providence of God, to confess and deplore our offenses against him, and to supplicate his intervention for averting the threatened danger and prospering our strenuous efforts in the cause of freedom, virtue, and posterity. Desires at the same time to have people of all ranks and degrees duly impressed with a solemn sense of God's superintending providence and of their duty devoutly to rely in all their lawful enterprises on his aid and his direction, we do earnestly recommend that Friday, the 17th of May, observe, be observed by all the members of our nation as a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer that we may with united hearts confess and bewail our manifold sins and transgressions, and by a sincere repentance and amendment of life, appease his righteous displeasure, and through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, obtain pardon and forgiveness, humbly imploring his assistance to frustrate the cruel purposes of our unnatural enemies, signed the members of the Continental Congress, March 16, 1776. Why did I read you that letter right now? A letter like that, if it was written today, would cause a riot. It would cause an uproar. It would cause everyone, both who agreed and disagreed with the principle, so there's some people who would disagree about the state of the country and some people who would agree. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if everybody agreed on this is where our country needs to go, it would cause an uprise amongst us here in the church if we said, because of this, and because of this, and because of this, we're going to take a day 
of fasting. And when they talked about fasting back then, like I told you all last week, that when most people say fasting, they're not talking about scarfing down tuna, tuna sandwiches all day. All right? That is, most people would, would, would not understand when we say I'm fasting with a tuna sandwich in this hand and french fries in this hand. They wouldn't understand what you mean when you say you're fasting. All right? Because fasting meant abstaining from food completely for a period of time and then eating, you know, simple foods, okay? What we're talking about here in this series, like I said, is we're talking about fasting. Is fasting is not something that we have to do, but something that we need to do. Last week I told y'all that when our Lord Jesus Christ spoke in Matthew chapter 6 and he gave the principles of Christianity, all right, the three major principles of Christianity, they were fasting, they were prayer, and they were giving. And I believe that when the Bible talks about a threefold cord that is not easily broken, I believe that what the Lord Jesus Christ was telling us in Matthew chapter 6 was that threefold cord that we are to rely on as his children, as Christians in the world today. That when we have prayer connected with fasting, connected with giving, then it will be very difficult for the enemy to take us down. One of those by themselves is good, two is better, but three, if we got all three working in, in, in connection with each other, that's when we become who God meant us to be and how God meant us to live our lives. And it is very clear that from the early days of the church, fasting was not something I'm talking about before. They had to fast. They fasted voluntarily and willingly. And that's my hope and my prayer that we return back to that state. You know, I was reading a, um, you know, in, in, I was reading a book that was talking about the early church and the practices of the early church, first, second, third century. And the early church didn't talk about 10,000 different things at the same time. They had seven critical principles, all right, or seven disciplines that every single person abided with these seven disciplines, all right? One of them is fasting. They were prayer, all right, set times of prayer. They were weekly Sabbath keeping. They were what they used to refer to, they had pilgrimage. We refer to that as retreat, all right? They were fasting, giving, um, Eucharist, celebration of the Eucharist, and the church calendar. Fasting was something that wasn't, like I said, like you have to fast this day, you have to fast this day at the beginning. It was something that they said we want to do. And the goal is, is how we can get back to that point. Here's the verse that we saw last week, which is the basis of our series. But you, Matthew 6, 17. But you when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast. When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I'm going to remind you of that every week because we are not fasting. I don't want anybody to end this series and say, I have to fast. I want you to finish this series and say, I want to fast. Why? Because I know that if I fast the right way, not just if I fast, but if I fast the right way, because he says how is just as important as the what, that God will reward me openly. What does that reward me openly look like? We agreed last week. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it means for your household, but I'm sure it's something great. I don't know what it means for your marriage. I don't know what it means for your career. I don't know what it means for your calling in life. But I know that when Jesus says you will be rewarded openly, he means it. What we're going to do today and the next couple weeks is we want to talk about fasting in relation to life. All right? And how this fasting thing practically works in life. And today... I want to talk about the relationship between fasting and repentance. And all of us know that we need repentance. And there isn't a person alive 
who diminishes the role of repentance in his life. Whether or not we do it or don't do it, at least up here we know we need to do it. And today I want to talk about the connection between repentance and fasting, how the two are opposite sides of the same coin. But first, here's our key thought of today. I want you to understand this thought, I want to explain this thought, and then we'll go on and talk about repentance. Here's our key thought, is that fasting is the body's natural response to a sacred moment. Fasting is your body's natural response to a sacred moment. Sacred moment meaning God does something, or God is doing something, or God stops doing something, a divine, God does something, and we respond to that with fasting. Why I'm saying it that way, because like I said last week, I want to erase the backwards mentality of fasting that we have, that we fast in order to get God to do something. We flip it. We say that we want God to do this, and therefore we're going to fast in order to get it. So fasting loses its original meaning, and it becomes like a bribery, or like a, like a, a persuasion. Come on, God, really need this, this promotion. I'm going to fast and pray about it. Or, or um, it, and people in the world, like the hunger strikes, and the people who you know, occupy places and stuff like that, like, we're not going to eat until this happens. And we do that same thing towards God. But that's not how fasting was meant to be. Yes, fasting does get us results, but fasting, the purpose of it is not to get us results. Said another way, I want to take fasting and switch it from a mentality of, I use it as an instrument to persuade God, I want to get rid of that. I want to use fasting as a response to something God is doing. I'll explain what I mean. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. If you study in the writings of the early church versus the recent church, there is a very clear and glaring difference in how people perceive the body. And what I mean by that is, is that today sometimes we have this idea that spirit is good, body is bad. That the body is like evil and, and like forget about the body and the body is bad and just the spirit. And we have this idea that we have like this pure spirit and it just has to live inside this body and the body is bad. But we can't say that the body is bad because who created the body? God created the body. And when God created us, he didn't say, okay, here's a good spirit and here's a bad body and combine them together. God created a person and that person has all kinds of different components. All right, we have a spirit, we have a mind, we have a heart, we have a will, we have a body. And all of these things, we, what I'm trying to say is we don't need to separate them all out as good and bad. All of it was created as me, my person, as my body, my mind, my will, my heart, my, my flesh, my whatever it is that you want to call it, is all of me. And all of me should worship God and should offer God sacrifices as worship. So when I pray, this is why the early church, they viewed fasting as prayer. Fasting and prayer were not any different. Why? Because when I pray, that's my mind worshiping God. That's my mind worshiping God. When I obey, that's my will worshiping God. Well, how about my body? Should my body worship God? 
Or should I just throw my body over there on the side and say, you watch TV and let the mind and, and keep the spirit and everything separate? The way that your body worships God or prays is through fasting. It's a natural way that when your body, I'm sorry, when your person feels something or experiences something, your mind wants to do something, your spirit wants to do something, and your body also wants to do something as well. And what that something is, is fasting. I know, this is kind of complicated. I don't really, really understand. Follow me here on some examples from the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 34, verse 1-2. I'm talking about how fasting is a response of the body towards an act of God. This is the story of Moses when he went up on the mountain and got the commands. Exodus 34, verse 1 and 2. God says to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were first were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning. Come up in the morning to Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. God says, Moses, I want you to do this. He speaks to him, I want to do something in your life. Moses, eventually after God talks a lot. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Why did he fast? Did God tell him, come up here, but leave your water bottle down there? And, and, and only veggie burgers up here? Is that what God said? And so when, was it nine hours? When was the last time he ate? Is that what God said? Did God say anything about fasting? No. God said, I want to work. And then what happened? Moses said, okay. And his body naturally said, well, I don't want to eat. I don't want to eat. I don't want to eat. I don't want to drink either. First Kings 19, this is after Elijah was up there on top of that mountain, on Mount Carmel, and the glory of God, and the fire, and he showed forth the presence of God was so strong in his life, and he came down that mountain, and he was a little bit discouraged, so God comes and speaks to him. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him, and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals, and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him. God is working in his life. And said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he rose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. What does that mean, that he went 40 days in the strength of that food? He didn't eat again for 40 days. Why? Was it commanded? No. God said, Elijah, you're the best. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to give you something special. I'm going to take you to that next level in life. Here, eat this, and let's go this way. And after that, Elijah said, okay, I'll eat, but I don't want to eat anymore. Why? Because I'm focused on something else. Last example. Acts chapter 9 is the, is the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus. He's walking down the street. He's going the wrong way in his life. The, the shining light, uh, Saul, Saul, all that stuff. And eventually, after he gets up, says he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Does this make sense? Like, I know for most of us, this doesn't make sense. But let me give it to you in an easy way. Let's say a catastrophe happens or a death in the family. And this happens all the time. Someone in the family dies. What's the chances that you find out about a death in your family and you're going to stop by McDonald's on the way home today? And you're going to go pick up a sandwich. Y'all remember that episode? Of, there was a funny episode of Seinfeld. Okay. Y'all remember the Jujubees one? Okay. Where, where Elaine, if I'm not mistaken, all right, was going to the movies and her boyfriend was supposed to meet her. And then she's waiting, waiting, waiting in the concession line and then her boyfriend calls that he was in a horrible accident and he's in the hospital. And then she stopped, okay, she's, she was going to rush out but she really wanted to get some Jujubees. So she got the Jujubees 
on her way. And then she gets there, and he's like, where'd you get the jujubes from? All right, and he, she's like, I was in line. And, and then he's basically, he got upset because here I am in the hospital dying, and you there looking for your jujubes, all right? I'm saying that the body naturally, when something grieves the body or something important happens, the body doesn't have an appetite. It doesn't want to eat. That's the way fasting is supposed to be. Is that God works in our lives and God does something in our lives or we anticipate God doing something in our lives and we voluntarily, like Saul, like Moses, and like Elijah, say, you know what? I'm not that hungry anymore. I want to cut back. I want to ease up of all the, the, the food and simplify my life a little bit. When that happens, then your mind, your will, your heart, your emotions, your body are now all working in concert. Think of us, okay, this is, this is an example that I, I read, that you, you as a person, you know, like a diamond, okay, which has many, many, many sides, but the only way the diamond works is when all the sides are together, and when they're all together, the light shines through perfectly. And that's the way it's supposed to be. We've separated it out by, by, by removing fasting from our spiritual discipline. We remove the body out of it altogether. And we said we should worship God with our minds and with our spirits, but with nothing else. And that isn't the Bible. That isn't what the Bible says. Why it is so important, in my opinion, to view fasting as a response to God, not as an instrument to get something from God, let's now say that you have the instrument approach to fasting. And you say, I'm going to fast, this fast, in order to get this from God. I want this from God. I want an answer to this prayer, or I want a solution to this problem. I'm going to fast for that. I'm telling you that if the reason that you're fasting is to get something from God, you have lost the genuineness of what fasting is all about. And in addition, I'm telling you, it will be a lose-lose scenario for you. Whether you get your answer or you don't get your answer. Why? Let's say you're fasting, you have faith, you believe, and you don't get what you want. Your sick uncle dies. You don't get that job. You get fired from that job. What's going to happen to you? What's going to happen to your faith? You lose faith. Now, why should I fast? I fasted, I believed, I prayed, the whole mustard seed thing, none of that stuff works. And you're going to lose faith. Now let me flip it. Let's say you do get what you want. Why is that a loose scenario as well? Because you know what you're going to become? You're going to become a very annoying person. You're going to be that annoying person that goes around telling everyone, oh, the reason that God didn't bless you is because you didn't fast like I fasted. And if you fasted faithfully, then you would have. You're going to be that guy which everyone hates that guy. And you're going to, again, lose the sincerity of it and just use it as a tool. The Bible says the correct way as God works, man is moved to action. And that action has an intellectual component, it has an obedience component, but it also has a bodily component, and that bodily component is fasting. And God rewards at the end. What does that look like practically? God convicts you of sin and says, this is sin. Man fasts. I'm sorry, God. God convicted me of sin. I fast. And then God does whatever he wants. He removes the consequences of sin. He doesn't remove it. God maybe warns me of a dangerous road I'm on. Man fasts. God maybe calls me to a mission. Man fasts. God maybe stops 
his presence in my life. He removes his blessing from my life. Man responds with fasting. You see how it's supposed to work? It always starts with him. We respond, he rewards. Those who are most in tune with God and like those divine moments and God acting in their lives, those are the ones who fast without complaining and who fast in ways and in times where no one is telling them and no one is commanding them. And again, that's like my dream for us and my dream for myself. That, again, assume, keyword on assume, this is not true, assume the church says we remove all church fasts. No more, no more fasting. Of course, because we have so many fastings, we would probably enjoy the non-fasting for several weeks, months, years, whatever it is, okay? And we might, you know, but eventually, my hope is that we come back and say, hey, you know what? We need fasting. We need it because it's something which Jesus commanded, not commanded us, but he promised us a reward if we do it. Today, like I said, now that we understand that fasting is a response, not an initial thing, now I want to talk about the relation between fasting and repentance. And I believe there are two types of, there's two connections between fasting and repentance. The first one is the one that, that you probably could guess, is that we fast in response to our own sins. We fast in response to our own sin. And if you look in the Bible, this was an almost automatic, like an instantaneous. God says, you sinned, people respond, oh no, we need to fast. Look at this, in Joel chapter 2, verse 12. All right. In Joel chapter 2, verse 12, is it on your handouts? No? It is on your handouts. Okay. Borrow that handout. Thank you. Sorry. In Joel chapter 2, starting verse 12, it says, Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. So rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. He relents from doing harm. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly. What you see is, is that when God told them, you guys, y'all are walking the wrong direction. Y'all are committing sins. The natural thing was, so therefore, rend your hearts, but also rend your bodies. Grieve your hearts, but also grieve your bodies. It was a natural, instantaneous thing. That they, because they didn't understand the spiritual world like we do, they didn't understand things like we do in the New Testament. In order for them to show their repentance, there had to be a grieving of their body. Now, me and you, we live in the New Testament, and we say, well, that's Old Testament stuff. And the New Testament's all about faith, it's all about belief, it's all about inner life more than outer life. Yes and no. It is more about inner life than outer life, but it doesn't remove the outer life as well. That's very clearly seen in the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus, in the Old Testament, they said, you know what? In the Old Testament, lust was adultery during this and this and this. And Jesus said, no. Actually, lust has an inside component that is equally as bad. And that's to look lustfully at another woman. But he didn't say it's okay to remove the outside. He didn't say don't look lustfully, but it's okay to do whatever you want adultery-wise. He said in the Old Testament, they said this outside. In the New Testament, I'm fulfilling it. Or, or I'm completing it and showing you the inside component to match the outside. We in the New Testament, we right now, we take the New Testament, the inside part, and we say, I have sinned, and I have this, so I pray really hard, 
and you know, I, I, I'm really sorry in my heart and in my mind, I say, I promise, you know, cross my heart, I hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, and I do all that stuff, but then we remove this body component. And the Lord says, no, the two need to be working with each other hand in hand. Where did the idea of fasting for sin come from? Who was the one who started this horrible idea that fasting, that when we commit sin, there has to be fasting involved? Whose bright idea was it? It was God's idea. Back in Leviticus chapter 23, back, 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 back in the day, there was something called the Day of Atonement, or what it's called by the Hebrews is Yom Kippur. You've heard of that, right? They still celebrate to this day. Just one day every year that was dedicated to the people evaluating themselves, confessing their sins, and fasting in a strict way. See what it says, starting in verse 27. It says, The tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Deny yourselves is what, like some of your Bibles might say fasting, because that mainly meant fasting, but it actually meant much, much, much more than fasting. Like King James Version doesn't say deny yourselves. Y'all know what it says? Anyone? Afflict your souls. All right, that's like the old school. Afflict your souls means make yourselves very uncomfortable, and I want to say make yourselves miserable, because it wasn't just don't eat, and it wasn't just don't drink. It was don't eat, don't drink, don't work. It was, it was sleep on the floor. It was, if you're a married person, don't, you know, belly to belly time, okay? Don't do any of that kinds of stuff. Like it was afflict yourself and be very difficult on yourself. What it says, keeps going. It says, do not do any work on that day because it is the day of atonement when atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. Those who do not deny themselves on that day must be cut off from their people. Man, aren't you glad the church doesn't carry some of these same rules today for the church fast? Those who do not deny themselves and any one of those things that I just said, afflicting yourself, God said, cut that guy off because that guy doesn't understand how life works. I will destroy from among their people anyone who does any work on that day. Why no work? Why is he stressing this no work idea? Because remember, like we talked about last week, the goal isn't just to be hungry. The goal is to simplify life. And when I stop work, and I stop TV, and I don't eat so much, and I cut my meals down from, from six or whatever it is that you got, down to two or three meals, smaller meals, simpler meals, then I have more time for what? For hungering for God. And I, I have time now to meditate on the Word of God. I have time to, to think about the year gone by and say, you know what, I have sinned against God. You know what, I sinned against my brother too. You know what, I'm going the wrong direction in life. But you're not going to have that when you're working and you're TV and you're Twittering over here and you're Facebooking over here. You're not going to have time to evaluate yourself. That's why God says no work, no work, no work. No eating, no work, no, no nothing. Just think today about the state of your soul. This is to be a lasting ordinance for all the generations to come wherever you live. It is the day of Sabbath rest for you and you must deny yourselves. From the evening of the ninth day of the month until the following evening, you are to observe your Sabbath. Now let's get to us. It is clear that God connected fasting or denying yourself, which is more than fasting. He connected fasting to sin. 
And when God made such a strict day of atonement, it was to show the severity of sin. And therefore, since sin is so severe, there has to be a response equal to the severity of the sin. When was the last time that you said, again, forget about the church. Forget about what the church says. When was the last time you said, you know what? I have sinned. I'm not walking the right road. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm the worst person in the world, but I'm saying, you know what? I need to make a change. I got some, some things in my life like I need to. When was the last time you looked at that and said, you know what? I want to do something about it. I want to do something serious about it. I don't want to just do it here. I want to 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 do it everywhere. If God convicts you of sin, shouldn't you take it serious? Like if God himself came to you and said, forget about you, came to me and said, Father Anthony, this is wrong. God himself said it. He convicted me. And doesn't there have to be something more than, well, okay, my bad. I'll try my best. But doesn't there have to be a more? My point is not to say that the fasting solves the sin. That's not my point. If that's what you're hearing, you're not listening to me. My point is to say that on every level of my body, of my person, that God wants me to offer repentance intellectually, will, obedience, but also in a bodily way so that my body, which is part of me, can be part of that, that worship to God. We fast in response to our own sin. That's number one. Number two, we fast, and this is one that you're not like, in response to the sins of our people as well. We fast in response to the sins of our people. Y'all know what the word what is it? complicity means. Complicity. Y'all know what that means? Y'all don't know what that means? I know what that means. Is the word complicit? You know what it means when you say you are complicit in something? It means this. It means complicity means, maybe the lawyers know what it means? Okay. It means the state of being involved with another in an illegal activity or wrongdoing. If, if my um, friend is robbing a bank and I am sitting in the car just watching him and then I drive him to his house, even though, did I rob a bank? No, but I was complicit in it in that I was part of it. I was part of the wrongdoing even though I didn't have nothing really to do with it. If there is someone running you know, a, a, a money laundering scheme in my basement, Okay, and, and I'm part of it, even though I don't know, even though I'm not necessarily guilty of it, like, proactively. We as human beings, and as children of God, there's a piece of us that feels responsible for the sins of others around us. And when we feel that, fasting is the way we should respond. Let me give you an example, because I know you hate my guts right now. Let me give you an example. Why should I fast for other people's sins? I'll tell you a true story. And I believe that a story like this happens to everyone in life at some point in time, just different variables. 1998, I went to Africa for the first time in my life. And I had just graduated 
from college, and I was anticipating a good-paying job. You know, back then they were hiring anyone in IT, so I was in IT, so they were hiring anyone, all right? And from like, I want to say like November, before I graduated, I had a job lined up, and everything was going to be great. I was going to be making money and all kinds of good stuff. Went to Africa in the summer. And one of the things that I'll never forget in Africa, like I never ever forget it, was before the end of the trip, we went to visit a slum called Kibera. Right, it's, in the, it's a slum of Nairobi. And at that point in time, we were a big group, and we were there for four weeks. The group had all left. I was the last one staying, and it was like the day before I was going to leave. And um, Abuna Musa, who was a priest there in Nairobi at the time, like he was going on his visits, he took me with him. I'll never forget what I saw. That was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. That was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm talking about in an area, like from that corner of that chair to right here to right there. Okay, it was all, you know what those shanties, like you ever seen the slums with the shanties? Like it's disgusting, it's disgusting. And all it was, was a concrete wall like this, all right, and then just open space and curtains. So a curtain here, a curtain here, and a curtain there, that's my home. And how many people are living in this space? It's like eight. Eight. And it was always mother, children, no father. Always. Mother, children, no father. There was no fathers around. Mother and children of eight in this little space. Where's the eight kids? She don't know where they are. Some is over there and some is over there. One is eaten out of the, 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 the nasty, like their bathroom. Sorry, there was no bathroom. It was just a little, like a creek or something like that. One kid is like picking food out of there. So it is disgusting. Like it made me want to throw up. I'll never forget that. And especially what I remember is just before, like somehow, just before that trip, I read a fact. You probably heard me say this in sermons many times. That this earth, the way God created this green earth that we got, has enough food on it, every single human being, to eat a normal diet every day. 2,000 calories. Every single human being. The earth has enough food right now to sustain every single person on the planet. Right now. And then you see that. So why is that? And then you realize it's because we as human beings, we've sinned. We sinned. We. I'm not saying I did. I'm not saying you did. We, as human beings, we've sinned. We've not done a very good job in sharing and in giving and in being generous with what God has given us. And the majority of people receive and try to receive more and try to gain more as opposed to receive with this hand and give with this hand. If everyone received and gave, no one would be in need. That trip and that sight, like if anyone wants to know why, I'm not saying like I'm a better person than anyone, I'm not saying like that, but one of the things that I don't struggle with is I'm not materialistic. I have my weaknesses in many, many areas, but I'm not a materialistic person. It's because of that trip. Because I couldn't see that on that trip and then care about the stuff that we usually care about. And I thank God that I took that, and that's why I always tell everyone, before you start making money, it's very important to go on a trip like that. And I was so thankful that I saw that before I started getting the paycheck. Because I, I don't know, if I didn't see that, maybe that paycheck would have made my mind a little bit different. But thankfully I saw that before I started getting the paycheck, and I'll never forget that. You maybe have had a similar moment. Maybe you had an experience like I had in a poor area. You saw something. Maybe it was with, maybe watching, you know, one of them TV shows, documentaries about something or other. Maybe you got a letter in the mail. Maybe you read a, a post online. Whatever it is. At some point in time, God is going to move you and move your heart. He's going to bring you face to face with his heart. And then you have to respond. 
What does that have to do with fasting? Let's go to the book of Ezra. In the book of Ezra, context on Ezra. Ezra, at the time, Ezra was living in exile, like Ezra and the people of Israel, they were in exile, and now they're returning back from exile, back to their homeland, to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city. It's also around the same time as Nehemiah, when he came back to build the walls. So they were over here, and now they're back over here. And Ezra was leading the charge to come back and build the temple. When he gets back to, to, to rebuild the temple, and he has his people, he looks around, and he starts to realize how many of his fellow citizens, Israelites, had married from foreign nations. And they, and they broke God's law. God's law said, don't marry from those other cultures, those other nations, all right, because they were pagan worshipers. It wasn't the culture. It was the faith, okay? That don't marry from them. And so many of them had completely broken that. So how does Ezra respond? Verse 6. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the room of... Jehohanan, son of Eliashib. While he was there, he ate no food and drank no water. Why? Because he continued to mourn over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. What happened to Ezra? This was one of those solemn moments that he gets there and he realizes what a sad state has come upon us. And he knew that God's heart was breaking. So he couldn't just Oh well, what's for lunch? He couldn't. Just like I said, like someone who just finds out that, that, that their, their grandma died can't say, oh well, let's go to the buffet. Like it just, it can't. The body, when it experiences something that's grievous to the body, and that it, it, it's something that's mourning, the body responds naturally by saying, I don't want to eat. No one made Ezra fast. No one told him don't eat or don't drink. Give you another example, book of Daniel. Y'all know the story of Daniel? All right, now Daniel, same thing happened here. All right, then I set, Daniel chapter 9, verse 3 to 6. Then I set my face. Daniel was a good guy who did nothing wrong. But Daniel set my face toward the Lord God to make a request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in, the name to our, in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers, and to all the people of the land. What in the world is Daniel doing? What is Daniel asking for? What is he requesting of God? What? Nothing. He's not fasting to get something from God. Same with Ezra. He wasn't fasting to get something from God. He wasn't fasting because he wanted anything in particular. He was fasting because he realized the sinfulness of his people, the wickedness that had gone on, and he felt complicit in it. And he felt, you know what? We have sinned. And somebody needs to man up and, 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 and repent. And someone needs to repent with fasting and prayer. I worried. I worry about myself, not about you, about myself, that sometimes God moves our hearts, but we don't respond except up here. Oh, stinks for them. Oh, too bad. Or then all of a sudden we become very thankful. All right, thank God it's not me. Thank you, Lord. I praise you, Lord, that it's not me. Praise God. 
Let's sing songs of praise to God. And we worship God and we praise God and we thank God. But when we do nothing about it, Ezra said, God, your heart grieves over this. And therefore, my body has to grieve as well. Not just my mind grieves, says, oh, shucks, or oh, too bad, but my body grieves as well. Question for you. If the heart of your beloved grieves for a condition, how do you respond? If the heart of somebody that you really, really, really love, like really, really, really love, and their heart is sad, is it possible that you don't respond? I go home today, my wife tells me, it's the worst day of my life. And I say, oh well, what's on TV? I'm really sorry. Click. No, 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 my heart goes out to you. Step to the side, please. What does that say about my love for the one that I claim to love more than anything else? What does that say? It says that ain't real love. I'll tell you a true story, and I'm not saying this, again, I, I'm the worst person at fasting. So please don't think that I'm saying I'm good at it. Um, I'm, I'm all, any story that I'm sharing with you, that's all I got, okay? I got like two good stories in my life about fasting, and I shared one, and I'm gonna share the other one right now. Okay, that's all I got. So don't think I got like a hundred of these, the ascetic guys, the priestly guys, like those guys, they got I don't got them. But there was a time, and it was not too long ago, where God really put on my heart the marriages in our church. All right, and it was before we started the marriage series that we just finished up, and God really put it on my heart. There were many marriages which are, I don't want to say struggling, but I want to say not where they're supposed to be. And I, for a long time, had noticed that, that the state of marriages wasn't where it was supposed to be, and I, for a long time, was responding here, but nothing more. And I say, thank God that's not me. And Marianne used to always know, where the days that I would come back and I'd be all nice, tell her I love her and all this kind of stuff, she'd be, you sat with a couple who was struggling today, i say, oh yeah. She knew, okay? So I was, I, was, I was handling it up here, and I was responding here, and saying, please God, take care of them, but mostly like, don't let them stuff come into us. You know what I mean? Like, keep us. And then God convicted me. This is something that's important to me. Like, nothing matters more. I'm talking about from God's perspective. Nothing matters more to me than marriages. Nothing matters more. Because the marriages are not just two people, but it's any kids that's involved. It's anyone who's watching them. Like, that's everything. That matters a lot to me. And I did something that I never, ever, 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 ever thought I would do. And I can't say I'll do it again, but it's something that I did. And I started that every week, certain day, I fast for those married couples in our church. And you, if you're married, I was fasting for you, all right? I hate your guts for making me do that, okay? But I did. And I was fasting because I couldn't look at, and I wasn't fasting for anything in particular. It wasn't like, okay, please God, solve this guy's problem. Or please God, I wasn't like that. It was, the state is not good. God put on my heart, you've got to do something about it other than just talk about it. Whether it's that story, the Africa story, whether it's Elaine with the juju bees, like whatever it is, whatever it takes to move your heart. If the heart of the person that you love so much grieves over a condition, what is your response going to be? My goal today was not 
to guilt you or shame you into fasting. If that's what happened, I'm telling you don't fast. I don't want you to fast. I don't want you, because the whole point is, if we don't fast the right way, better not to fast. But of course, better than both of those options is to fast the right way, okay? So the best way is to fast the right way. So I'm not telling you do it out of guilt. I'm not telling you do it out of shame. And I'm doing my best to not say, hey guys, the church said we have to fast, so everybody fast. I'm doing my best not to say that. But what I am saying is, I want you to realize the connection between fasting and repentance. And whether it's God convicts you of your own sin, you respond with fasting. If God convicts you of the sin of anything else around you, or the state of anything around you, you respond with sin. I want to leave you all here with this quote, which I read in a nice book. It said, they, it's talking about the saints, the early church saints who were into fasting, how they fasted, fasted, fasted. So they were hungry enough for God. They wanted to say it with the hunger of their bodies and not just the hunger of their hearts. I have no doubt that your heart hungers for God. But what I'm saying is, is if you've hit that ceiling where your heart is hungering and you are trying your best, but you're just not getting there, then maybe it's time to start a new approach. Maybe it's time to let your body jump in the hunger as well. And maybe it's time to incorporate another component of your person into the yearning for God and the hungering for God. Don't fast because I told you. Don't fast because the church says so. I want you and me to evaluate ourselves, to evaluate our sins, to look closely at what God is doing and saying in our lives, and to respond in a way that we feel God wants us to respond. Intellectually, with our heart, with our, with our, 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 our minds, with our will, but also with our bodies. God promises us that when we fast the right way, and we do it in a genuine way, and like we saw today with the widow with the two mites, a little bit the right way is better than a lot the wrong way. So when we fast a little bit the right way. Last week, for those who weren't here, I talked about starting slow. So I'm not saying jump to this degree. Start slow. A little bit the right way is better than a lot of it the wrong way. And I hope that you would take it seriously and that God would reward you and bless your life in a new way through this time of fasting in this series. Let's stand up and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, with God, amen. Lord, we thank you for everything that you have given to us. Everything, Lord, that we have in life is only because you are a good Father who has given to us so much. But Lord, we don't want to take your blessings for granted. We don't want to take your presence in our lives for granted. Lord, we have sinned, and, and each one of us has sinned individually. And collectively, dear Lord, each one of us sees that things aren't what they're supposed to be in so many different areas. I pray, Lord, that you would remove from our minds any like preconceived ideas we have about fasting and, and how it's it's difficult and how it's 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 something that we don't like. Get rid of those minds from, from get rid of those those thoughts from our minds, Lord. And give us to see it from your perspective. Lord, that verse that says that you that we when we fast the right way, that our Father who sees in secret will reward us openly. Lord, that verse enough alone, Lord, that verse is enough to, to make us want to fast and to want to see your reward. Reward us, Lord, in our lives, in our, in our careers, in our marriages, Lord, in our missions, in our services. 
and everything that we do, Lord, for the glory of your name. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for each and every single person who's here. Thank you, Lord, for every heart that loves you so much, is not just willing to show it with their hearts, but with their bodies as well. Accept our prayers this day in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, that is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. Have a great week. See you all next weekend.